Thank you to the worship team. Good morning to everybody. Ah, a new year. Uh, just in the announcements, just a small correction, when they recorded it, they mentioned that these pamphlets would only be handed out next week. Obviously, they're on your every second chair this week. Please do take note just for the information on the week of prayer and fasting. If we could pray, and then we'll get into the Word of God. Father, thank you for just the heaviness and the sense of your presence in the worship this morning. And I pray, Lord, as I continue to share, you would enable me and, and open all our hearts to hear what it is that you are saying to us and to our hearts at this time of the year. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, Pastor Louis shared from the parable of the sower on just and about the different conditions that our hearts can be in as we end one year and as we transition into a next year. And if you haven't had an opportunity, it would be really great if you could watch that on the YouTube uh, channel that we have. And I think the Lord wants to continue speaking to our hearts this morning. And as I was reflecting in the holiday time, I started thinking a little bit about journeys. And I remember some journeys I've went on with different people. And I don't know if you found this when you go on a journey or a trip, or perhaps even on holiday, who you go with really matters. And some of you are nodding and smiling. Okay. Who you go with really matters on a journey or on a trip. Perhaps some of you have had holidays and who you've been with has greatly impacted the, the nature of that experience. I remember going on a journey many years ago now uh, with two friends up to the Victoria Falls in Zimbabwe and in Zambia. And it's one of my highlight journeys of my life because we spend time driving through Botswana in the open roads experiencing just the wideness and the bigness of God and then just the beauty and the power of uh, the Vic Falls. We had opportunity to go across to the Zambia side and uh, the river, uh, the falls weren't that high so we could walk across quite far into the falls and swim in a pool there right on the edge of the falls. Um, it wasn't me but my friends gave a few of the Asian tourists heart attacks because if you're standing, the Vic Falls are like in a V shape, I don't know if you know that. And If you're on the Zambia side and there's this pool there but if you're on the other side and you don't know there's a pool, and then if you run and jump wildly, and you know you're going to land safely in the pool, but the tourists on the other side are snapping these uh, suicide jumpers because they think they're going to go right over the edge. Other people do that. I was not part of that. But who we go with on a journey, best steak I ate in my life, by the way, uh, and a bride there. Who we go with really matters. And it's the same in our spiritual journeys. Who we journey with really matters. And I'm proposing today that this year God has a journey for us as a community, but for each of you as well. God has a journey with a purpose for us. It's not just a journey where we're wandering around. It's a journey with intention. It's a journey with purpose. Perhaps we could even say that it's a journey with a mission. It's a missional journey for us this year. And we've said in Hatfield that we are a community on a mission. Our mission is to make disciples. We want to align ourselves with Jesus when he said, go and make disciples, and where he so often invites us to become disciples and to follow him. And so we're also a community on a mission. And as we turn to the word of God today, we're going to spend some time in Exodus 33. So if you want to turn there in your Bibles or open your devices in Exodus 33, we want to look a little bit of the journey that Moses was on, the mission that Moses was on. He's on a journey with a purpose. His purpose is to take God's people, the nation of Israel, from captivity and slavery in Egypt 
to the promised land that God had promised their ancestor Abram as an inheritance. The, they just experienced a miraculous uh, deliverance from slavery. They'd seen God act mightily on their behalf. They'd seen the mighty deeds of God in the 10 plagues in Egypt where God demonstrated his power not only over the Egyptians, but of all the Egyptian gods and th that they'd worshipped. They'd seen the miracles. And Exodus 19 tells us that after about three months, they've left Egypt, they've crossed the Red Sea miraculously, seen the mighty hand of God in that aspect. They come to the foot of Mount Sinai after about three months, and they start camping there, and God lands, if I can put it that way, on the mountain. The presence of God, the creator of the universe comes and he presences himself on the top of this mountain in fire and in smoke. It's an awesome moment in the history of the earth where God lands on a mountain and the people are terrified and, and Moses takes up this role of being a mediator between God and the people. God speaks to Moses, Moses speaks to the people, people tell Moses what to tell God because they're so in awe of the presence of God on the mountain. And on a couple of occasions, God goes up, Moses goes up the mountain a few times and acts as this mediator. And on one of the occasions that he went up on the mountain, he was gone a little long, according to what the people felt was acceptable. The Bible tells us he was there for about 40 days and nights. And what happens towards the end of this period is that although the Israelites had seen the mighty deeds of God, they turn away and they go to Aaron and they say, Build for us a calf, an idol, a golden calf, and we'll give you what you need. Build it because we need something tangible here with us on the, to, to be able to worship. This is such an interesting picture for me. They're on the foot of the mountain. God's on top of the mountain. There's fire, there's smoke. They're terrified, actually. But still they turn and they say, we want an idol. And they start worshiping it. And God sends Moses down from the mountain and He's really angry, as God should be at this. And he actually says to Moses, I don't want to take these people anymore. Look how hard-hearted they are, stiff-necked. They've turned away from me. We've been together three months. They've seen all that I've done, yet they turn away from me. And Moses then moves from the role of mediator to the role of intercessor. And he starts interceding on behalf of the people to God. And he says, God, we've, they've sinned and we've sinned. And Moses is angry too, because he understands the heart of God in this. And there's some judgment that comes on the nation, and we can call this the, the golden calf incident. And God actually says to Moses, I'm going to destroy them, and the promise I made to Abram I'll give to you. I'll make you the great nation. Your descendants can go and inherit all the promises that I've made. And so Moses, this is quite an offer. You can become the new Abraham, Moses. And Moses says, God, don't do that. Remember your promises. What Will the other nations think if they see how you treated the people? And God relents. God, as it were, responds to the heart of Moses and he changes his mind. And, and that's where we're going to pick up the story here in uh, Exodus 33. I'm going to be reading from the NIV version uh, through all the text today, uh, just in case you're wondering. So in Exodus 33, we're going to read from verse 1 to 3 and I'll just comment a little as we go. So then the Lord said to Moses, he's now relented from destroying the nation. He says, leave this place, you and the people you brought up, and go up out of Egypt and go to the land I promised on an oath to Abram, to Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. 
I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. How would you like God to send an angel before you this year to just move your enemies aside and to stop the challenges that you're facing? How, I mean, anyone want an angel to help them? Okay. So it's a good offer. God's going to fulfill his promise. He's relented from destroying the nation. He's responded to the repentance that did happen in the hearts of the people towards the end of what's recorded for us in chapter 32. But he says, I'll send an angel. But God says, if we read further in the text, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. And that sounds rather hard, but it's actually a demonstration of the mercy of God. God realizes that the people are just people. And before we start sitting in heavy judgment on the Israelites, wondering, you know, God on the mountain, and yet you start worshiping a golden calf, and there's this interesting dynamic there. Let's remember our own humanity. How many times on a Sunday we encounter God, but by Wednesday, Thursday, Sunday afternoon, we're just human again, doing things that we do, forgetting the encounters we've had with God. And so the mercy of God is that you're probably going to mess up again on this journey. And so to protect you, I'm not going with you. That's what Moses says. And then Moses challenges the nation of Israel to repent. And it's recorded for us. They take off the ornaments they were using to worship in the next few verses. And God sees this repentance. And then as Moses has written for us the book of Exodus, he inserts this interesting anecdote in verse 7 in chapter 33. It's about the tent of meeting. And it's so interesting as I reflected on this passage that there's big things happening, you know, potential judgment, destruction of the nation, repentance. God renews his promise and says, I'll send the angel, but I'm not going to go with. The people repent. And then there's this story that gets inserted here for us about the tent of meeting. And I just want to read the one verse about it, Exodus 33 in verse 7. It says, now... What used to happen is that Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp. The, the tabernacle that we read on later in history hadn't been built yet. Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away and called it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord could go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. We don't have time to read the rest of the story, but basically what it says is that Moses would often go to this tent and when he would go to the tent, the whole nation would kind of watch him walking, going. And when he went into the tent, God would come down on the tent like a cloud, the very presence of God. And the Bible says that then God would talk to Moses face to face as a man does with a friend. And then Moses would go back to the people and Joshua would stay. And then when I've read this passage, I've always read like, I want to be like Joshua. I want to be the one who stays in the presence of God. But Moses was the leader. He took what he'd had from God to the people. There's another interesting phrase here which I want to highlight as we just reflect on this anecdote. In verse 7 it says, anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to this tent. This tent wasn't just for Moses. This tent wasn't just for Joshua. This tent was for anyone in the nation of Israel. They could go to Moses. And this little anecdote is put into the text for us while all these big things are happening I think because Moses wanted to know that it wasn't just about him and God on the mountain. Anyone could inquire of God. But let's pick up the story and go back to the mountain. We'll come back to this story, this anecdote a little later, hopefully. So back on the mountain, Moses is 
fulfilling this role of an intercessor, interceding for the people. And we pick up again in Exodus chapter 33 in verse 12. We're going to read verse 12 and 13. God has just relented. He's not going to destroy the nation. He's promised. He said, I will still keep the promise. I'll send an angel with you. But that's not enough for Moses. And if we can try and start picking up here on the, the heart of Moses. Moses says to the Lord, verse 12, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You haven't said which angel perhaps go with me, whom you would send with me. You have said, Moses reminds God of what he has said. God hasn't forgotten, it's just Moses is reminding him. Moses says to him, you have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, Moses says to God, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. This is a great phrase from the Bible to pray in our lives. Teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. And then remember, Lord, that this nation is your people. It's not actually good enough that you send an angel. Sending an angel is not enough. Moses doesn't want an angel. He wants God himself. Who will you send, God? I want you to come. Teach us your ways. Teach me your ways. I don't only want to know about your mighty deeds. Remember Moses' first encounter with God is at the burning bush. That's a mighty deed. Everything he's experienced in Egypt is a mighty deed. It's the, the ten plagues. It's God demonstrating power. He's seen God come down like fire on the mountain. And yet from his heart, Moses cries and he says, I don't just want to know what you do. I don't just want to know your deeds. I want to know your ways. I want to know why you do things. I want to know how you do things. In fact, I think what Moses is saying is, I want to know you. Teach me your ways, God. I want to know you. There's this pang in Moses' heart. There's this desire in Moses' heart that says, I want God. An angel is not good enough. The mighty deeds, we need them. They're important. They set us free. They deliver us. They've brought us where we are. But God, I want you. Teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. God responds here to the heart of Moses as we keep reading in the text in verse 14 to 16. God responds to this desire in Moses. Remember, God has accepted the repentance of the nation. He's exercised some judgment. He said he will fulfill his promise. He'll send an angel. But then Moses intercedes and says, but God, that's not enough. An angel is not enough. I want you. Verse 14 says, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you. In other words, I myself, I will go with you and I will give you rest. Can that be our desire for 2018 on our mission, on our journey for this year? That God's presence goes with us. And as he does, and as the presence of God goes with us, we will find rest. We will find peace. Isn't it interesting when God is with us, no matter what the turmoil and what the situation, we always can find peace and rest on the inside. Then Moses responds to God again. God has said, I will go with you. He says, Moses says, then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? Moses, it's almost like he's kind of God has given him something, but he pushes harder because in his heart, he so much wants to know 
God and the ways of God. If Basically, I think this is what Moses is saying. He says, God, if you don't come with us, we don't want to go. And can that be in our hearts this year? God, if you don't go with us, we don't want to go. God's presence with Moses, Moses acknowledges that God's presence is a sign of his pleasure. How will people know that you are pleased with us? And so when God's presence goes with us, it's a sign of his pleasure in our lives. Moses carries on in verse 16 and he says, What else will distinguish me and, me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Lord, what will our distinctive be? What will help us stand out in this year, in this journey ahead that we have to face? It's the presence of God that distinguishes us from all the others. And Moses knew this. In Sinai already, newly delivered out of Egypt, he knew that the, what would make the nation of Israel different would be that God would be with them. That would be their distinctive. And what does this idea of the presence of God with us mean? And some of it's going to become clearer as we go in the text. But for the Israelites in this immediate context, the presence of God was observable phenomenon. They had God on the mountain. They'd seen his deeds. They'd seen him acting against the Egyptians. But it's interesting to me that even though they'd experienced the deeds, they'd experienced the miraculous, that did not stop them from turning away from God. It wasn't enough, as it were, to hold them when Moses was gone too long in their opinion. It wasn't enough to stop them from trying to mold God into their image. And so perhaps the miraculous alone is not enough. We need more. We need to know Him. We know the presence of God perhaps in a more abstract sense, where it's the sense of someone being with us, knowing that we are not alone. But as we'll see in this passage, this presence of God also starts speaking more concretely into who He is. Because if we want to know the ways of God, we need to know who He is. And so let's be like Moses and say, I don't just want to see the fire. I don't just want that. We want that, but not just that. We want you. I want you, God. And God responds again in verse 17 to this as we continue reading in the Word of God. And then the Lord said to Moses, verse 17, I will do the very thing you have asked. God responds to the heart of Moses. Because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. This is the second time in this passage this phrase has been used. The first time Moses is quoting God. He says, you've said that you know me, and you're pleased with me, and you know me by name. But here God says it. And isn't it always different when God says it, and not other people say it, when God says it to us? And I'm wondering if God isn't saying this to us at the moment. To you this morning, just because you're here. I'm pleased with you, and I know you by name. As you're seated here in the chair and listening and trying to control your children, you're doing great. I'm pleased with you, because I know, and I know you by name. This is an awesome moment. The nation has sinned. God has relented. It hasn't gone well. It's not following the script. But the people turn and they repent, and Moses pushes in to God and he expresses his heart. And from God, this elicits this response that I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. Now, I don't know where you are 
in detail each one as you're sitting here this morning. Perhaps you're not a believer, you're not a Christian, you don't know Jesus. You came here because you didn't want to be lonely on Sunday morning. God knows you. He might not be pleased with everything you do, but you, he knows, and he's pleased with you. He knows you by name. Perhaps you're a long-standing believer and you've been at Hatfield since the foundation stones were laid. This morning, God says, I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. God knows you. He knows your journey for the year, this journey with intention, your mission for the year, your journey with a purpose. God knows you by name. He knows exactly what you need. But can we be a people this morning, a community that from our hearts we cry and we say, but God, we want you. You know us, but we want to know you. We want you. Now, if this was me, this would kind of be where the discussion with God ends. I've stopped him destroying the nation. I've convinced him not to send an angel and to come with us. These are wins in the negotiation. I say negotiation respectfully. We don't negotiate with God generally, okay? But these are wins. Moses is one. God has promised to go with them. He himself will go with them. He's turned his favor towards Moses. I'm pleased with you. I know you by name. But look at the heart of Moses here. He doesn't relent. He doesn't stop. He carries on. It's like he goes, okay, thank you, God. Verse 30, chapter 33, verse 18. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. I want more. I haven't just said I want to know you. I want to really have it now. Now, God, show me your glory. Show me the substance of who you are. I want to know your ways, but I want to know the substance of who you are. And then the Lord said to Moses, I will cause my goodness. Interesting that when Moses asks for glory, part of God's glory is God comes and he says, I'll show you my goodness. I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name. I will tell you who I am. You'll be in my presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and compassion on whom I will have compassion. So as the nation has sinned and worshipped the golden calf, God highlights that he will have mercy on them and he will have compassion on them. God says to Moses, I will come to you now. I will respond to this relentlessness in your heart, this, this fact that you keep pushing in and I will come and reveal myself to you so that you can know my ways, so that you can know me. In the rest of chapter 33, God explains to Moses that he, Moses won't be able to handle everything if God shows him everything. So he says to him, he'll put him in a cleft of the rock and he'll hide him with his hand and then he'll pass by and he'll reveal himself to Moses. But if you can drop down in your Bibles and devices to chapter 34, verse 6, it's actually there recorded for us, this moment when God reveals his glory, when God reveals his goodness to Moses. Exodus chapter 34 verse 6 and 7. Moses has been pushing in. He's saying, God, I want to know your ways. I want to know you. And God responds. Verse 6, 30, chapter 34 says, And God, he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of their parents to the third and the fourth generation. It's like God saying, you've asked me 
to go with you. This is who will go, go with you on the journey, Moses. The Lord, the Lord, the gracious and compassionate God. He is going to go with Israel on the journey. And this is the God more fully revealed through Jesus Christ to us who will go with us on the journey through this year. This is the God who is here today. He is the Lord, the Lord. He's not confused. He's God. The Lord is the one who comes first. We follow him, not he follows us. And so if we're going to journey with God this year, let's realize who's in charge. He is the Lord. His ways come first. He's compassionate and gracious. And in everything we do and in everything we face on our journey for this year, we find one when we yield to his lordship, the one who is compassionate and gracious. He abounds in love and faithfulness. Everything he has said, he would do. For every person in this room, he has enough love. God has enough love for you for this year. He maintains that love to thousands. It's not limited. It's not restricted. He'll forgive any wickedness, rebellion, and sin if we repent and we turn to him. But he's also a just God. He won't let the guilty go unpunished. And if there's consequences that are necessary, they would happen. But we can still find forgiveness and compassion and grace there. So this morning, as you consider your journey, the mission that God has for you on 2018, your journey with a purpose, can we be like Moses? Can we bring our hearts to a place where we can say, God, if you don't come with me in this year, I'm not going. Perhaps you're just saying, Lord, if you don't come with me this year, I'm not going to make it. Because maybe you have some ideas of the things that are in store for you. Now, depending on if you've been on holiday and how reflective you are, and maybe you're just getting back into church and the normal rhythm of life, I think as we journey together as a community in the next two or three weeks, We've got time and space in God to bring our hearts to this place where we can say, God, we want you. That God, will you go with us? You don't have to be perfect by tomorrow or perfect by the end of the service. But if we can have a process and a direction that's intentional. Put the pamphlets on your chairs, but next Sunday morning we're starting our annual week of prayer and fasting. We've done that for many years now in this church where we take a week and we set it aside to seek God, to reflect on what God has done, to reflect on what God is saying to us and to reflect on what God might be doing in the year. But what if we can take this week and prepare our hearts so that when the week of prayer and fasting starts, we can find our hearts in the same place as Moses where we can say, God, if you don't come with us, we're not going. God, if you don't come with, I'm not going to make it because God we need you and I believe if we can get our hearts in that place we too can hear the words of God where he says I'm pleased with you and I know you by name it's important that we understand that this journey of the year is not a journey of our design and our intention it's not about our plans Moses and the Israelites are on the journey that God has for them they're on God's mission And when we align our lives and ourselves with what God has for us in the year, we can then successfully journey with him to the promised land. We can come to the place where we receive or inherit 
that which he has for us. And so can we take some time today and some time in this weekend, if the worship team could, could join me, and consider, perhaps next week, the week of prayer and fasting, can be like a tent of meeting, Exodus 33, verse 7, where there's a place or a space created where anyone can inquire of God, that each one can come. It's not just for the leaders and the pastors and the life group leaders and the shepherds and the elders. It's for you. Anyone can come. God is on the mountain, but anyone can come and inquire of God at the tent of meeting. So this time tomorrow, this time on Tuesday, this time on Wednesday, where is your heart going to be? Can your heart be at a place where it says, God, I want you. If you're not going, I don't want to go. If you don't come with, I'm not going to make it. Last two verses for this morning in Moses' response to God. God's revealed himself. He's shown who is the God that will go with him. Who is the God that will journey with us on our journey? Exodus chapter 34, verses 8 and 9. It says, Moses bowed down to the ground at once, and he worshipped. Lord, he says, if I have found favor in your eyes, and I think he had, and he said, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, although we might make mistakes, although we might miss God and not get it perfectly right, forgive our wickedness and our sin. And we can believe that God will do that for us and take us as your inheritance. And perhaps this morning, if you're there in your heart, and remember I've said this process in this time in the next two weeks, perhaps it's an appropriate time. If you feel free, the, the worship team will play now. If you can come forward and we can bow down before God and we can worship Him. It's interesting that after Moses responds like this to God, further on in Exodus 34, God makes him a promise and He says, if you keep this heart attitude, if you keep this covenant, I will do things in your midst, in your nation, in your life, that you would never have imagined. And so if we can align our hearts over the next two or three weeks with God's heart, if we can come to a place of waiting on Him, reflecting and hearing what God is saying to us, then we can expect that God can do things in our lives that we could never have believed or imagined. God can do things through us as a church community that we would never have believed and imagined. Teach me your ways, God. I want to know you so that I can continue to find favor in your eyes. Won't you stand with me? I'd like to pray that over us. And if you want to, you can come to the front and the worship team will pray a little bit. We've got some time. Let's start aligning our hearts with God. Let's bring our hearts to this place where we can say we want God. So Father, this is, this is my prayer this morning that we would bow down and we would worship you, that we would find favor in your eyes and that you would go with us into this year. Lord, may our lives become like a tent of meeting where anyone can come and inquire of God. Forgive our wickedness, Lord. Forgive our sin. Forgive us where we have not been mindful of you, where we've turned from you and take us as your inheritance. Take us, Lord, as me as an individual, but take us, Lord, as a community, as your inheritance.
Teach us your ways, Lord. Show us who you are in our lives. Reveal yourself to us more. Help us by your spirit to know you better so that we may continue to find favor in your eyes.